Hello, and welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Thank you for listening this Friday, March 12th, 2021. It's Friday, so I always like to have a little treat for you. Today's episode includes an interview with figure CEO Mike Cagney on blockchain, SPACs, and the CFPB under the Biden administration. I don't think you'll want to miss it. I'd like to thank the sponsor of today's podcast, Candor, a newer company that's getting a lot of buzz. They offer a dynamic underwriting engine that eliminates the underwriting bottleneck. A year ago, remember when you couldn't find toilet paper for sale? Now you can't find a house for sale. But there are plenty of agency mortgage-backed securities and other debt for sale. Just as borrowers are lowering their debt load by refinancing their homes, corporations and governments are taking advantage of low rates while they're here. For example, American Airlines has raised $10 billion through an offering of $6.5 billion in high-yield bonds and $3.5 billion in loans, the largest debt deal ever by an airline. Fannie and Freddie know a little something about debt, and this week's Fannie news, constricting second and vacation home locks, has caused disruption as the aggregators and agencies plan to implement this. But locked pipelines, with their processing times, are already set for April funding, thus May delivery. So does Fannie's constriction actually start in June? The devil is in the details. It is rumored that nearly 50% of sellers to the agencies already exceed this limit. There are limited alternatives available currently, like perhaps FHA or non-QM, but a secondary market will be created over time, though at what cost? For today's interview, I wanted to bring on Mike Cagney, CEO and founder of Figure. I think the best thing to do to start this interview would be to give people a little brief overview of Figure Lending and, and how, kind of how the, the idea occurred to you to put mortgages on the blockchain and, and how you've gotten it to where it is now. Sure. Figure's a blockchain holding company, and one of the businesses is Figure Lending, which does mortgages, HELOCs, and unsecured consumer loans. When we started Figure in 2018, the goal was to use blockchain to transform lots of things in financial services. And one of the things that we had a lot of visibility to in terms of inefficiencies and intermediation was lending. And what we set out to do was initially a securitization on a blockchain where we could demonstrate from point of loan origination through to financing, through to securitization, what the value of blockchain could be um, with actual production and real economics. And so we, we launched Figure back in 2018, built a blockchain called Provenance, which is uh, we would consider one of the one of the preeminent blockchains for the financial services ecosystem, and we started originating loans on Provenance in the fall of 2018. And so we were the first to originate an asset on a blockchain, first to finance it in a warehouse, first to securitize it. And when we did our first securitization transaction in March of 2017, from again point of origination through to financing through to deal execution, uh, realized about 117 basis points of cost savings. And this was originally on HELOCs, and, and we felt directionally we could have equivalent, if not even greater, absolute dollar impact on the mortgage side. And so we started running firstly in mortgage production, also integrating the blockchain, and, and have demonstrated some pretty significant savings there as well. And in addition to those cost savings, how do you think blockchain will improve and or disrupt the mortgage industry? Well, I think it, it's really across three points. So if you think about how mortgages are originated and the amount of audit and QC expenses that are incurred to, to basically do the work to validate mortgages and, and uh, you know, all, the, all the, the things that need to happen. It, the immutable and trustless aspect of blockchain is the idea that you can take all the inputs into a loan packet, digitally signed by source, 
leverage a smart contract that has your underwriting constructs to it and basically produce an immediate exception report. So think about having DU as a smart contract versus a service you, you send information to and then come back with exceptions so that you real time know, is this mortgage legitimate? Does it confirm, conform to all the, the things that it needs to in terms of FICO and LTV and DTI? Um, you're cutting a huge amount of cost savings out in doing that. Then the, the bilateral nature of blockchains, the ability to trade assets real time. So you know, if you wanted to buy a pool of $50 million of loans from me on, on Providence, you would wire $50 million to, a, to one of the banks that would create a stablecoin wallet for you with the $50 million into it. And the blockchain you, you knows you own that wallet, knows I own that, those loans. And it simply registers the loans to you and the wallet to me. And what we've done is a real-time transaction, bilateral, no counterparty risk, no settlement risk. And so if you extend that into warehousing and you think about the two to seven day perfection process, the audit and QC work that happens, um, you know, effectively we can send a loan to a warehouse as soon as we fund it. And, and the warehouse buyer, the warehouse lender in that construct knows for certain what that loan is, whether it adheres to my credit box or not. I'm not having to re-audit it every time it changes hands because of you know the, the, the fact that you're doing that immutability underwriting up front. And so you cut a huge amount of cost out in the financing aspect. And then when you get down to if it's securitization or it's whole loan sales, you know, let's use securitization as an example. A lot of the, the parties in that securitization, so the custodial bank, the payee agent, the indentured trustee, these are things you don't need anymore. Blockchain makes them either superfluous or, or, or unnecessary, redundant. And so, you know, huge amount of expense that you're reducing there. And I think one of the most striking things is since 2008, we think of mortgage securitizations as having a 100% packet audit from an AMC or a Clayton or someone like that. And if you look at the, the HELOC transaction we did in March of 2020, uh, Jeffries and Nomura were co-leads on that. They did a 10% packet audit because they were so comfortable with blockchain in terms of what it could do from a validation standpoint. If, if you extend that to uh, some of the deals that were done behind us, that they were done with as little as 5% packet audits. And so this idea that we have to re-audit a mortgage packet every time it changes hands, I think blockchain is going to eliminate that. That's going to introduce huge amounts of savings and efficiencies into the ecosystem and, and something we're super excited about. And so as you and I saw at SoFi, the, the mortgage industry is a very difficult place to disrupt. You're, you're up against these big players. What makes Figure relevant? What makes you think Figure is primed to actually disrupt the mortgage industry? I, I think there's two dimensions to it. I, I think that on the one hand, it's just how we originate mortgages. And, and some of that is blockchain, but some of that's just technology. And you know, we've taken an approach where we use technology to drive very high productivity across production staff. So you know, we run north of eight units per month per production team member. Uh, cost to originate the loan is, is very, very low. Um, and we think we're, we're going to push that to over 10, maybe up to 12 uh, by the time we're done with some of the technology overhaul that we're doing. And that, that's a significant value prop to the broad industry and something that we're open to sharing and, and you know, because we want to facilitate blockchain adoption. I think the other aspect that's super important is around the, the actual delivery mechanism of loans. And so if you think about the, the process today of funding a loan and then having to warehouse it for you know, two, three, four weeks as you're waiting to aggregate up to deliver to Fannie and you know, delivering your loan packets to one of the custodians and you know, going through the OGD process, et cetera, et cetera, incurring the market risk as that process happens, it, it's a pain. And you know, I, I joked about this the other day in, a, in another, another discussion that if you came to me five years ago and said, in five years, 
I'm going to be complaining about, you know, one of Fannie Mae's custodians losing my loan packets and, and having to track them down so I can deliver loans out. I'd say, no, nah, there's no way we're going to still be in that, that situation, but we are. And, and so I think the issue isn't so much, you know, will the Wells Fargo's or the Rockets or, or, or you know, the, the, the guaranteed rates of the world adopt this kind of technology. I think we're all going to end up adopting the technology because the, the value prop is so high. I think it's, you know, at what point do we hit the tipping point where the GSEs and the FHA says, hey, we're going to start requiring delivery of loans on blockchain because it's more efficient for us. It's more efficient for the ecosystem. Um, and, and that's where I think you're going to see a very, very rapid adoption because at that point, you have to, if you can leverage blockchain for delivering your loans into the GSEs, not pay for the whole post-close process and post-close team, not eat up your balance sheet equity in warehouses, not take market risk. And if the GSEs can streamline on their end, save money and actually introduce a better mortgage-backed security on the other side, there, there's significant upside for everybody there. But it's convincing one of those either you know, GSE or government entities to be the first mover and that's what we're working on, very, very uh, focused for 2021. And so is, is your vision more that provenance becomes the place for mortgage blockchain or that figure becomes a, a dominant sort of lender because they, they were an early adopter of this? So I, I think early adopters are going to earn rent and figure benefits from that. And, and so we believe figure will have a very large and very profitable mortgage business but there will be lots of large mortgage companies out there. And, and what we ultimately want is to leverage blockchain in a way that drives value for the entire ecosystem. That's you know the originators, the capital markets, the consumers. And I think there's so much inefficiency and, and, and so much where we, we spend money today and things that aren't value add to the process and don't benefit the consumer. Blockchain's going to make a lot of that irrelevant, and and those economics are going to pass back to everybody in the ecosystem. We're all going to benefit from that. So, like we we think Figure will have a, a significant position as a leader in mortgage origination, but also in, in broad lending and banking services and wealth management. You know, Figure's a, a multi multi line shop. But what we're very very focused on is is just ubiquitous provenance adoption because we see this as a, a huge value for everyone. You just set up a SPAC to raise a quarter of a billion dollars, according to a recent regulatory filing. Part of the reason I wanted to bring you on was to, to talk about the general environment of SPACs and what's going on as we as we move to a new administration. SPACs were, were dismissed at one point as sketchy Wall Street arcana, and now these these publicly traded shells are, are merging with real businesses to make actual money. Do you have concerns surrounding SPACs? Are you are you all aboard the train? What where where's your head at with it? So so I, I think SPACs have a very interesting history, and and obviously I'm a big proponent of SPACs as as uh, my old company SoFi was despacked uh, with Shamas IPOE. Um, I, I think there's there's a really interesting application for them. I think our SPAC is very different in terms of how we're looking at it. So. You know, traditionally, it's been a backdoor way to an IPO, access to liquidity, and then you know the Rolodex or the network of, of the SPAC sponsor. And the SPAC sponsors generally monetize out pretty quickly. And so they, they can often be valuation insensitive uh, in that regard. And, and I think there's an enormous number of SPACs out there. And it's challenging if I'm a company and a SPAC's coming to me, and we have SPACs come to figure all the time. You know, the issue is, well, what are you bringing to the table? And we all have networks and we all have access to capital. And so, you know, it really needs to be something differentiated. And so the approach that we took was was really born out of the fact that we've had so many companies come to us and ask us for help on blockchain, but also help on tech, help on brand, help on cross-sell. And we, we haven't really had the time to lean in and focus 
in a meaningful way with any of these opportunities because we're building figure and we're building provenance. And so we, we got to a point where a few months back we said, look, why don't we find a company where we can lean in and really do something impactful and meaningful and let's do it for, for the medium to long haul. Let's not do it in, in a short run aspect. So we ended up creating a SPAC, but we created a SPAC that has a very unique promote structure. So we get paid over time as the stock performs. And it's aligned to the fact that if we do a SPAC, it's an opportunity cost and we need to do something big, something meaningful. We're going to get very involved. We're going to help on brand and cross sell and tech and blockchain, wherever we can create value, where we can take a, a good business and turn it into a phenomenal business. And, and that's our motivation on it. And I, and I think you're going to see more of those strategic angles on the SPAC side, because I think it's getting harder and harder to differentiate just around capital and network. And many people have even suggested the SPAC bubble is getting ready to pop. And we've seen hedge funds begin to short some of them. Obviously, that means the funds will become more discerning. Do you see any other issues arising as we go forward? I think there's a lot of SPACs out there uh, and not not necessarily, if you're purely looking at it in the context of liquidity network, it's not target rich. If you're looking at it in the context of strategic involvement, where you can engage with a company and really work with the team to create something phenomenal, I think it is target rich. I think there's a ton of those types of opportunities, whether they're standalone companies or lift outs of existing companies. And, and so I, I think that certainly, you know, the market is probably over SPAC'd at this point in terms of the number of SPACs that are out there versus the the traditional types of opportunities. But you know, I think if you're willing to to lean in and actually work with a company strategically and, and contribute something beyond money and network, uh, you know, there's still a lot of opportunity out there. That makes sense. So I want to transition to the new administration in Washington here. The Biden administration has been building out the regulatory team. Are you are you at figure doing anything to prepare for that specifically? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we should all anticipate that um, you know Rohit at the CFPB is going to become more active and engaged than than they were in the prior four years, uh, and that introduces a lot of importance around you know ensuring that it, that especially around RESPA that you're doing all the things that need to be done done the right way, um, and that's you know traditionally been a challenge for the industry, especially related to its retail channels. I fully anticipate that. And then, you know, we have a, a banking license uh, that we applied for and some process the OCC with a change in leadership there. You know, certainly there could be some changes in, in terms of the receptivity of that. We, we hope that's not the case. In particular, the, the, the banking solution that we're really pushing for is one that's driven around financial inclusion, something that we think is is uh, often missing within all the things that happen within the financial engineering of, of, of the ecosystem that we're in. Um, but you know, we, we need to be mindful of that as well. So I, I think we're definitely looking at a different environment. Uh, you know, but I think if you were buttoned up and doing all the right things before, you're going to operate fine in the new one. Yeah, and I think lenders across the mortgage industry are concerned this this CFPB with renewed fangs is is coming for them. Uh, do you view a more watchdog CFPB as as a net positive for the industry, net negative? How do how do you view it? Yeah, I, I think that that um, yeah, my experience dealing with with Rohit is he's very pragmatic and uh, and very fair, and so I I think again if if you're buttoned up and you're doing the things you're supposed to do, uh, it shouldn't be an interference to your business. I, I don't think they're going to go out of their way to to create issues, but it, but I think they're going to be very very focused on these are the rules and, and let's make sure we're all following them. If you were running fast and loose and and Certainly, with the the volume pressures that people faced in nineteen and twenty, some some people might have done that. 
then you're you're definitely going to have a, a change in, in direction. But but if you were doing the things you needed to do, as I said, if you were buttoned up, if you made sure that that you were following everything you needed from a RESPA and ECOA standpoint, this shouldn't be a disruption to your business. Yeah, and it's funny. The mortgage industry is is incredibly cyclical, and yet these mortgage bankers seem to have the the shortest memories ever. Where when the money's flowing in, the money's going to be flowing in forever, and and everyone talks about these imminent price wars, but it seems like very few companies are actually preparing for a rainy day. Mike, thanks for talking to me, man. I I really appreciate you coming on and and I enjoyed our discussion. No, thanks for having me anytime. Treasuries, with MBS tagging along, ended yesterday in curve-steepening fashion, which portends good news. An above-consensus initial claims report contributed some, as did good demand for $24 billion of 30-year treasury bonds, In addition, President Biden signed the $1.9 trillion spending bill into law. The MBS basis closed the day tighter, led by the belly of the stack. The primary mortgage market survey from Freddie Mac for the week ending March 11th saw the average 30-year mortgage rate rising three basis points to 3.05%, while the 15-year and 5.1 hybrid arm rates rose four basis points to 2.38% and 2.77% respectively. Sam Cater, Freddie Mac's chief economist said, quote, as the economy improves given labor market optimism, continued vaccination rollout, and additional stimulus spending, mortgage interest rates will increase. But even as rates rise modestly, the housing market remains healthy on the cusp of spring home buying season. Homebuyer demand is strong, and for homebuyers who have not refinanced but are looking to do so, they have not yet lost the opportunity. Today's economic calendar began with the February PPI report. It was always likely to raise some eyebrows due to denominator effects. Later this morning brings preliminary March Michigan sentiment. After the Fed released a new two-week purchase schedule yesterday that averaged $5.3 billion a day with no changes to coupons versus the prior schedule, along with the mid-March to mid-April reinvestment estimate of $121.6 billion, the desk today is scheduled to purchase $4.8 billion of UMBS 30s, followed by $1.9 billion of Gini 2s. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse at Nath and the 10-year yielding 1.59%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. So, two Irishmen walk out of a bar. <laughs> hey, it could happen. Thanks again to Candor for sponsoring today's podcast. I look forward to hearing more great things. Want to know more? Go to candortechnology.com. Tell them Robbie Christman sent you. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.